Welcome, church. Good to see you all family here as usual. And if you're a guest, welcome home, as we like to say. Oh, we got a couple of prodigals back with us, too. Sean and Heather, the prodigals have returned. Uh, yeah, yeah, great. I mean, it's so good to see you guys. How many of you grew up listening to Paul Harvey? Huh? Yeah, you're so old, so old, just like me, the rest of the story. You know what's great about that? He published two books with those stories in them. I've got both of them. I love those because they take a familiar story, somewhat familiar, and it gives a little twist at the end, calls it the rest of the story, something maybe we didn't know. Well, this sermon series I've called The Other Half of the Gospel, that's what we're going to be talking about here in November. You've got the half of the gospel that everybody in America is familiar with, I mean, that Jesus died on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins. I mean, everybody knows that, but there's a, a kind of a rest of the story, and it has to do with sanctification. Now, as you know, the word sanctify means to be made holy. So once we are saved and forgiven of our sins, we still are living out the Christian life for the rest of our lives. So we're to become more and more holy, more and more like God, more and more like Jesus. That's a progressive process that lasts our whole life. Well, that's called sanctification. Now, the thing of it is that God has given us in salvation an inner resource to help us with that process. And he is, of course, the Holy Spirit. And that's what I'm calling the other half of the gospel. And all, how all that works out is really important for us. Uh, years ago, when Tammy and I were first married, her sister, younger sister, came to live with us for a little while. Our, our home was a little more stable than her home. Lisa was 14, and one day we went out to run errands. I said, Lisa, why don't you mow the grass while we're gone? So I came back. We came back from our errands, and the grass was half mowed. Front yard was mowed. Backyard was not mowed. And Lisa was crying. And I said, Lisa, what's the matter? She said, oh, that's so hard. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. I said, Lisa, that, but that's a self-propelled lawnmower. And she said, really? What's a self-propelled lawnmower? Well, I don't know if you've ever done this before, and every service somebody's come up to me afterwards who has. If you've ever tried to mow the grass with a self-propelled lawnmower without engaging the self-propulsion, it's one of the hardest things you can do. It makes it so much harder to push that mower. And I had not explained to her, there's a little lever on the handle. You push that down, that lawnmower practically mows itself. You just got to guide it. I was, in, I was impressed that she'd done half the yard. Well, that was on me. Well, likewise, in our walk with the Lord, in our sanctification, in our progressive process of becoming holy, God never intended that we would be grinding this out just on our own willpower. He's given us a self-propulsion. He's given us an engine. He's given us a motor. He's given us a source of power who is the Holy Spirit. So what we're doing in these four weeks in November is just talking about how do we engage that? How do we tap into that? Making sure we're, the Holy Spirit is helping us. We want all the help that we can get. And so the principle I want to talk about today is we want to look at what the Holy Spirit has told us about our identity, really our new identity in Christ, who we are and what we are, what the Holy Spirit has taught us about that, because we have to be able to know it, understand it, believe it, trust it, and embrace it. This is the faith principle, knowing what the Holy Spirit has taught us about our identity. And how do we know that? When I say the Holy Spirit teaches us, I'm not talking about voices that we hear. I'm not talking about dreams or visions. We're going to look at what the Word of God, the Bible says, about our identity. Uh, understanding that the Holy Spirit inspired what we have in the Bible. So 
We'll read verses today from Corinthians, from Romans, from Colossians, from Philippians. These are written by the Apostle Paul, but these are not just the words, as you know, of the Apostle Paul. They're not just the words of men. The Bible says all Scripture that we're going to be reading, all Scripture is inspired of God, and that word means God-breathed. And what we're going to be reading are not, is not just the words of men. These are the words of God, and specifically part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is teaching, revealing ministry to us. So he's writing this not only to the Philippians, the Colossians, and the Romans, the, and et cetera. He's writing this for us so we can know who and what we are. We're asking and answering four questions this morning. Number one, what have we become in Christ? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. What are we in Christ? We are new creatures. We are new creations. We have a new identity. There's an old Steve and there's a new Steve. There's an old you and there's a new you. So what, what does that mean? People today are all into the ancestry thing. People like to trace their genealogical records. Sometimes people do the DNA thing. You can go on and upload your DNA profile, and that might help the police to solve some cold case. Who knows? But I got a call a few years ago from Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan called me, and I never talked to Michael Jordan before. He said, Steve, I, I, I've been doing my genealogy and found out that you and I are related. Now, not that Michael Jordan, but it was a Michael Jordan. And yeah, yeah, sure enough, we're related. And he, find, he found all these different relatives back in our family tree. It's kind of cool. I, said, I asked him, I said, are we related to anybody famous? Have you, ever, have you found anybody back there who's famous? He said, not really. So I did, he said he found a woman who'd been accused of being a witch during the Salem witch trials in our ancestry. I said, I'm not sure I needed to know that. But people want to know their identity, and it helps them to secure that, maybe live out of that. Well, likewise, God says we have a new identity in Christ. We are a new creature. What does that mean exactly? Well, that's what I want to talk about in these next two questions. How does that work out? How does that play out? Well, it means we're, as new creations, there are certain things we're dead to, and there are certain things that we're alive to. To what have we died as a new creature is the second question. To what have we died? Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? So to what have we died? We have died to sin. Paul here anticipates one possible reaction to the teaching of grace. Now, we were in that sermon series for several weeks. Our last sermon series had to do with amazing grace. And much of it comes out of Romans and Paul's teaching here. And the fact that grace covers our sins, the blood of Christ, and our sins are forgiven. And here in chapter 6, Paul anticipates a possible reaction to that teaching. I mean, when our redeemed spirits hear about God's forgiving grace, the response is joy. When our bodies of flesh, which are not redeemed yet and still have a tendency towards sin, still contaminated with sin, when, when the, the, our flesh listens to grace, sometimes it hears license. You know what I mean by license? Hey, this grace is wonderful. I can do whatever I want to and get away with it. I might as well just sin because it's all covered with grace. There's no consequences. So Paul, anticipating that, writes, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin live in it? So a person who is saying, I can do anything I want to now that I'm a Christian and get away with it because of grace, doesn't know something. He doesn't know that he has died to sin. Died to sin. 
Now, when did this happen? When did we die to sin? It happened when we were saved. It happened the occasion of our salvation. When God applied the double cure of grace is our baptism. And verse 3, as we move on, Romans 6, 3, don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? So we all know that Jesus died for sin, so that our sins could be forgiven. That's not the death that we were baptized into. We're baptized into his death to sin. Two different things. Jesus' death for sin, Jesus' death to sin. Jesus was dead to sin. He hated sin. He was unresponsive to sin. He would not yield to sin. And we have died, God says, a death to sin. So when we were baptized... You know, that's a person who believes and trusts in the gospel and has repented and they're immersed in water. At that point in time, God goes to work and he's doing his work of grace, of forgiveness, but he's also killing us so that we are dead to sin now in our spirits. Take your teenagers. Remember when you had teenagers? Some of you may still have teenagers. Teenagers are dead to certain things. They're alive to certain things. For instance, they're dead to housework. You may have had this experience. Your teenager's laying on the couch watching TV. You come by and say, Junior, you need to go clean your room. All right. 30 minutes later, Junior, why didn't you clean your room? Well, you never told me to. <laughs> yes, I did. Well, I didn't hear you. He probably didn't hear you because he's dead to housework. And when you're talking about housework, he's dead to you. But you can be talking with your, your wife on the other side of the house. You get in the closet and you whisper to her, Hey, maybe, maybe we could get pizza for dinner tonight. Junior all the way over on the other side of the house in his bedroom with the door shut and headphones on, will cry out, yes, yes, pizza for dinner tonight. Alive, alive to pizza, dead to housework. Well, you get the idea. There are certain things that we are dead to, certain things that we're alive to, and the Bible says we're dead, now that we've been saved by the grace of God, we are dead to sin. We have died to sin. What are we talking about? We're talking about our identity as new Christians and what the Holy Spirit teaches about that so that we can believe it and live out of it. This is a hard, this is a hard thing for us to believe sometimes about ourselves, that we are, in fact, in our spirits, dead to sin. Let's look at just a, a handful of other verses here. Romans 6, 6, knowing this, that our old, our old man, the old Steve, the old you, was crucified with Christ in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died, that's us, is free from sin. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore we all died. Colossians 3, 3. For you have died, you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Romans 7, 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die through the body of Christ. This is not one isolated verse is the consistent teaching of the Holy Spirit through the New Testament that when we were saved, God caused our spirit to die to sin. And then uh, Galatians 2.20, of course, I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says. I have, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. We're dead to sin, all right? So we're saying, what are we? We're new creatures. What are we dead to? We're dead to sin. Third question, what are we alive to? What are we alive to? Romans 6, 4 through 11. Kind of a long passage, but hang with me and, and watch the scriptures on the screen. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in a newness of life. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ 
having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but consider yourself to be alive to God in Christ Jesus. So there are two sides of the cross here. There's the death of Jesus, that saves us, but there's also the resurrection life of Jesus that saves us in another way, so that we may live the life of holiness and sanctification. Romans 5.10, If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. We're saved by His death. That's where we have the forgiveness of sin, but we're also saved by His life. That's another kind of salvation that is equipping for living the life, the holy life, drawing on the power of Christ within us. Think about the tenth plague on Egypt. Remember the tenth plague that God brought against the Egyptians to free the Israelites. It was the death of the firstborn son in every Egyptian household. God was going to send the death angel. And God gave the instructions to the Israelites how to be spared from that plague. You know, I mean, this is the story of the Passover. So they were to sacrifice a lamb, take the blood, put the blood of the lamb on the door frame of their home. And then the death angel would pass over every home that was covered by the blood of the lamb. That's an obvious, we're, we're very familiar with that. That is an obvious allusion or analogy looking forward to Jesus that the Bible calls the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood. And in grace, God applies the blood of Christ on our behalf. That's, the blood represents the death of Christ. So when Jesus died on the cross, that was substitutionary. He's taking upon himself on the cross the holy, righteous wrath of God, the penalty that we deserve. So he satisfied that so that God could exercise his grace and forgive us our sins. I mean, that, that's the joyful side of the grace of God. So that's, that's part of the story. What about the rest of the gospel, the rest of the story, the other half of the gospel? These Israelites were still in Egypt. They needed to journey out of Egypt and into their freedom, their new life of freedom. To do that, they needed strength and sustenance. And so God told them to take the body of that lamb. And you know what they've done with the blood of the lamb. What did they do with the body of the lamb? They roasted it and ate it as a family. And this gave them the strength and the sustenance that they needed to walk out of Egypt and into freedom. That lamb was killed for two reasons, for two purposes, for its blood and for its life. And from the blood they received forgiveness and they escaped the penalty. And from the life of that lamb, they had the sustenance that they needed to walk. And Paul, the apostle, often calls the journey of the Christian life a walk. And we are saved by the blood of Jesus, but we also take into ourselves the resurrection life of Jesus. It is Christ who lives in me. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. He is our sustenance and He is our power. He is our life. Remember the feeding of the 5,000. Five loaves, two fish. Jesus multiplies the food. He feeds 5,000 men, more women and children. And the next day, they're following Jesus. They want him to do it again. And Jesus turns to them and he says, you missed the miracle in the miracle. Now, you saw the miracle, the temporal, temporary miracle of the multiplication of the food. But you missed the miracle in the miracle, which is me. Jesus is the life. He said, I am the bread of life that comes down from heaven. 
Anyone who does not eat my flesh and drink my blood cannot have eternal life. Meaning we must take Jesus into us, the spirit of Jesus into us. He is not only gives us life, he is the life. He's the life that is sustaining us, giving us the energy, what we need to live this life. So how do we work this out? How does this work out, this concept, this idea? We're new creatures. We're dead to sin. We're alive to God. That's what the, that's what the Holy Spirit is telling us about who and what we are. How do we work this out? That's the fourth question. And, of course, the answer is faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We walk by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 4, 18. We look not at the things which are seen, but we're looking at things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal or temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So when we talk about looking at things that you can't see, looking at things that are invisible, we're obviously not talking about using our physical eyes. We're looking through the eyes of faith. So what we've just described, dead to sin, alive to God, we're new creations. Those are spiritual truths and spiritual realities. They're no less true or no less real because they're spiritual. But they are spiritual truths and spiritual realities that are understood by faith. Same with the forgiveness of our sin. How do we know our sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus? Not necessarily how we feel. We may or may not feel forgiven. It's not based upon that. It's not based on something we see. We have not seen Jesus. It's based on faith. God tells us that our sins are forgiven. We believe him and we trust him. That's an act of faith based on the word of God. Likewise, how do we know that we are dead to sin but alive to God? Is it based on our feelings? Is it based on our experience? I hope not. It is based on faith. God has said so, and we are trusting and believing what he said and living out of that. Two children, two different homes, a couple of five-year-old boys. Here's a, here's a boy over here in this home. He's getting ready for school. It's breakfast time. He spills his milk. Here's what he hears from his parents. Oh, you are so clumsy. You're an oaf. You seem to do that every morning. You make a big mess. What am I going to do with you? Are you a baby? Do I need to give you milk in a sippy cup? Clean that up. Then go to your room and wait for the bus to come. Boy number two in another home spills his milk at breakfast. But he hears this. Hey, that's okay. No big deal. You know, I spill my drink sometimes too. Come on, let's, I'll help you clean this up. And, uh, and then we'll get ready and we'll, we'll get ready together. And I'll, I love you. No, don't worry about it. Two different experiences. And these two boys are going to walk away from that experience and others like it with two very different concepts of who they are and what their identity is. And as they grow older, they're going to live out of that identity. Maybe some of us can relate to that this morning. And we've had an identity in the past. When we were dead in our transgressions and sins before we became saved and living by the flesh and all of that, we've had that experience. We lived out of that for a long time. And now we're saved, and God the Holy Spirit comes, and he says, here's what you are. You are a new creation in Christ, and you're dead to sin, and you're alive to God. And there are all kinds of voices in our environment that would tell us different. Satan is certainly going to whisper in our ear and say, but, that, but that's not you. Now, that may be true of somebody else. Maybe true of somebody you're sitting beside here in this church this morning, but that's not true of you. You're no saint. You're not holy. You don't have the spirit of Christ. You're not dead to sin. You're alive to sin. You're not alive to God. You're dead to God. Just look at the way you thought last night. Look at what you did this morning. 
And our flesh will pull us in the other direction. And the question is going to be, who are we going to listen to? What are we going to believe about ourselves and our identities? Are we going to base our identity based upon what the world is telling us, what Satan is telling us, maybe even the struggle that we have with our flesh? Or are we going to believe what God has said about us? The issue is faith. And as we talk in this series about ways to engage the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives for sanctification, this may be the ultimate, most important principle is the principle of faith, understanding, knowing what God has said about us and our identity, affirming it, believing it, embracing it, because whatever we believe, one way or another, we're going to live out of that, that belief and that concept of our identity. And so I put into your bulletin today, and insert just some of these scriptural statements. One says, who am I? The other one says, since I am in Christ, by the grace of God, this is what is true about me. These are the kinds of things, I mean, this is one of the reasons reading the words of God in scripture is so important for us. We need to hear him affirming our identity in Christ. And I've kind of distilled a lot of those statements Maybe this is something you can keep or put on your refrigerator or review on a regular basis because we need to hear God's voice. Let's just review this. Let's just go over these. Let's read them together. You can read them out loud. I'll go through them. We'll just do the side that says, who am I? Let, and just say that. Just hear God saying this to you this morning. And I'll hear him saying this to me. Who am I? I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world. I am a child of God. I am part of the true vine, and Christ's life flows through me. I am a co-heir with Christ. I am a temple, a dwelling place for God. I am a part of Christ's body. I am a new creation in Christ. I am reconciled to God, and my sins are forgiven. I am a saint, a holy person. I am God's workmanship, created in Christ to do his work. I'm a citizen of heaven with all of God's family. I am righteous and holy. I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. I am chosen of God, holy and dearly loved. I am a child of light and not of darkness. I'm a living stone being built up in Christ as a spiritual house. I'm a chosen person, a royal priest belonging to God. I am born of God and the evil one cannot harm me. Amen? Our Father in heaven, we pray as we read these statements of truth and fact about who and what we are now in Christ, by your grace, Lord, when we take this deep into our hearts so it becomes a part of our spiritual DNA so that we live out of this and this becomes a reality in our actual expression and our experience of life as well as the reality in the spiritual realms that it is even now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.